Thursday edition of Locked on NBA. David Locke along with Ben Golliver, the Washington Post, run through tonight's action. We'll touch on some other fun things throughout the show here tonight. The big story is Orlando upsets the Lakers, ends their nine-game win streak behind 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists from Markel Fultz, the former number one pick, and he had the game-winning play late, and Orlando was up 20. The Lakers fired all the way back. LeBron had 19 and 19. You didn't think there was a, at least I didn't think there was a chance, Ben, once the Lakers took that lead early in the fourth, that there was any way the Magic would be able to hold them off and win this one, and they found a way to do it. Oh, no doubt. I mean, we've seen it time and again when the Lakers play a below 500 team this year. They always find a way to have the second half comeback, put, you know, put the younger team away late, LeBron takes over. That's the game. But that was not the story at all, uh, you know, tonight. Uh, and I think the Orlando Magic, it's that classic young team in a, in a case where they come to Staples Center, they start to feel like the limelight a little bit, and they all play up to the moment. I mean, I thought not only was Markel Fultz just fabulous, uh, Aaron Gordon, you know, showed me a, a few things too, uh, you know, some big-time highlight reel dunks, but also a really confident handle, some nice defensive plays, uh, you know, going right at LeBron in certain situations, no fear factor from him. Uh, and you kind of go right down the list. I mean, Vucevic hit a, a big three for them late. Uh, you know, they even got some quality minutes uh, from a B.J. Johnson off the bench. You know, a guy who's barely even played in the NBA. He's had a couple of nice plays in transition. So, um, you know, all in all, I think just kind of a, a stellar night from them. But the headliner is Fultz. Uh, and he's a guy where uh, he disappeared, you know, for multiple seasons. Everyone knows his story. He started to get a little buzz, you know, on the comeback trail earlier this year. And I'll be honest, uh, Locke, I was still pretty skeptical. You know, he's a guy who doesn't necessarily uh, shoot the three ball as well as we, we expected that he would uh, coming out of college. Doesn't necessarily get to the free throw line as much as he should for a guy who's so ball dominant, likes to go downhill. Uh, sometimes his shot distribution uh, rubs me the wrong way a little bit because he loves the mid-range pull-up and, and he kind of maybe over-relies on it a little bit. And then he's also not the world's best defender. Uh, but even though he's an easy guy to nitpick, a game like what he showed against the Lakers, it shows you the flashes of, of what had him in, in the uh, you know in the number one spot in the first place. I mean, just doing a little bit of everything, very very tricky to handle off the dribble, can go both directions, left and right, uh, stutter step moves, keeps his dribble alive when he gets into the paint, creating scoring opportunities for his teammates uh, with the assist numbers that you mentioned. Uh, you know, add all of that up, and I think for him. It's definitely a high moment of his young career. So I've got an interesting perspective on him because I did the NBA TV broadcast for his summer league before he got the whatever he got, right, whether it's shoulder impingement or the yips, and he was terrific. I mean, he it was there was no question why he should have been the number one pick. His pick-and-roll game was unbelievable. He had scored 25 points a game at Washington. He was, he was all – all everything in that game. Then that offseason is when everything suddenly goes awry for him. I've called two of his games this year and commented in both of them, Ben, he's going to be all right. For the first time, he looked all right. Now, it wasn't actually trending great before tonight. In the last nine games before tonight, he's shooting 41%, 23% from three. He's only going to the free throw line two times a game. But he has been playing about 30 minutes a night. DJ Augustine's banged up. And they've given him just a great reign out there. And you see flashes that make sense, that he's going to be all right. He hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been all there. But tonight is the best night of his career. 
Well, yeah, and, you know, like you're saying, I mean, even some of those statistical trends, they, they expand for the whole season, right? I mean, he's, he's a below-average three-point shooter. The, the free throws, like I said, aren't quite there. But to me, that's just more room for growth and development because the raw talent is there. It was there when he was a high school player. Uh, it was, a, uh, you know, it was there, uh, like you're mentioning, in summer league and even in flashes uh, in Philadelphia, rare flashes. Uh, where, you know, he's just comfortable on the ball in a way that, you know, 90% of guards in the NBA just aren't comfortable, uh, you know, moving with the basketball like he does. Very creative, unpredictable. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that the, the Orlando landing spot made a lot of sense for him because clearly he was overwhelmed. I mean, whether it was the shoulder or, you know, it was the mental side, whatever you want to call it, he was overwhelmed by the Philadelphia experience. And let's be honest, there's a lot going on in Philadelphia, whether it's Embiid, Simmons, the Jimmy Butler era didn't go so well. I mean, I think that that environment has kind of chewed some people up and spit them out. Uh, and, you know, I think a fresh start made sense, but also a lower profile environment where, you know, he's under the national radar. Uh, if he did struggle early in the season, people aren't going to be picking apart his game night after night after night. And then when he has a nice night, he gets some kudos for it uh, and he can use that to build positively. So, uh, you know, I, I think it was a, a reasonable gamble uh, by their front office uh, and, you know, at a point of their franchise's history where they're just searching, you know, I mean, they're looking for the talent, uh, especially in the backcourt to kind of boost this team out of, you know, that, that middle tier that they've been stuck in for years. Worth noting, Orlando's missing two of their five starters tonight and DJ Augustine, their sixth man. So they're missing three of their top seven players, probably because Terrence Ross is probably their sixth guy in their win over the Lakers tonight. Let's go back to Aaron Gordon, because there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. Aaron Gordon, first off, has been, was a high draft pick, number four pick of the draft, one of the great athletes, slam dunk champion, has always underwhelmed. Um, what, I, I've had the opposite reaction I've had to Markel Fultz the two times I saw him this year. Uh, yet, you know, one game he was playing with Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon's playing the three and you're watching him and he doesn't look like the three at all. In another game, he just did not have any feel at all. They were in the middle of a rally and he pulled up for a transition three. And, you know, he's the last guy in the world you want in that in a rally. And the Jazz took it the other way for a transition three of their own, and it changed the game. Uh, I But tonight was interesting. I, I watched some of it, and uh, in fairness, I listened to Dennis Newman, who's one of my favorites. I'm true to my craft and listen to the game on the radio. They were playing Aaron Gordon almost as a point guard tonight. And that, I think, if you're a team that's looking at the trade deadline for possibly making a move. I think that has to be really interesting to you. And frankly, I know Orlando's going to make the playoffs, but the future of this team has to be Bamba, Isaac, and Vukovic. And they don't have room for four bigs. Aaron Gordon's the one they got to move. And tonight's one of those nights that I think some scouts around the league might watch this game and think to themselves, well, maybe if we use him differently. I mean, usually when we talk about the second draft guys, you know, the guys who maybe don't work out so well in their first two years, uh, and then they get a, another shot when they're the team that drafted them gave up on them. It's kind of earlier in their career, but Gordon, you could make the case, even though he's been around for a while um, because he came in so young and because he has dealt with so many fit issues and so many, just a revolving door of pieces around him in Orlando, you can make the case that he's still like a second draft type candidate where if you did trade for him at the deadline, uh, you could reasonably expect him to, to boost up. I think what really impressed me uh, about him against the Lakers, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, was the ball handling. You know, I thought he was a very predictable kind of rigid player earlier in his career. Uh, you know, a lot of times they, if he was playing the three, it would kind of be a spot up 
catch-and-shoot type of three, and he wasn't a great shooter. So, you know, unless he's making like a one-dribble pull-up move, you're just really not seeing a lot. And he was flashing crossovers when LeBron was getting on him. He was attacking the paint uh, for a dunk late in that game. He was just doing a lot more, um, you know, create creatively uh, in ways that I'm not used to seeing. I think that his playmaking ability, his being able uh, to read the defense, is definitely still an area of improvement. I mean, I think that he doesn't really have star potential to me uh, because that aspect of his game just may never come. I mean, I just don't know if he's the natural uh, creative playmaker off the dribble that, uh, you know, so many good all-star level, all-NBA level wings are. But I think he could be a really good player, and I would be looking at him uh, as a trade, you know, target acquisition if I was somebody else around the league with maybe a hole at – at power forward. I think that's his best spot is playing a little bit of a stretch for, you know, playing multiple positions defensively and not being asked to shoot the ball like most threes do. Bigger stunner tonight. Orlando goes into the Lakers to end their nine game streak or the Blake Griffin list, De- Reggie Jackson list, Detroit Pistons go in and win in Boston. Well, I'm going to go with the, that second one, the, the Celtics loss, because and I didn't see any of that game. All I saw was the meltdowns on Twitter of how did this loss happen. You know, everything seems like it's falling apart when you lose to uh, the Pistons, especially these Pistons uh, at home. I mean, did you catch any of that game and, and what went wrong or what went right? Well, I just it looks as though Boston just took a night off defensively. One of those nights where you're hoping you're going to be able to get through without playing any defense. But Detroit ends up with a 122 offensive rating. They scored 27 in the first, 30 in the second. They're up 57 to uh, – they're down – Boston leads at 59-57 in the first half, and you just assume everything's going to go right for there from Boston. Then Detroit dropped 34 points in the third quarter on them. So I think Boston just had one of those nights where you're the better team. You feel like you're going to get through it and you're going to ease your way through the game and they never ease their way through it. Derrick Rose had another 20-point game tonight on 11 of 13 from the field, 29 minutes played. He is really having some quite a type of season this year. Yeah, he is. And like, this is a good timing for him too, right? Because this is sort of like trade deadline push, like this is showcase season, uh, both for him and a guy like Andre Drummond. And I feel like a lot of their roster is on the block would be available. And outside of those two guys, you know, how much, you know, interest is there really going to be in their other pieces? I don't know, but uh, for him, that's kind of like a best case scenario. And I think if you're the Pistons front office, you're like silently pumping your fist, right? Like you really want Derek Rose to just kill it for the next three weeks so you can maximize the sell-off because he just makes so much sense as a you know a rental ball handler for a team that maybe has playoff aspirations. Should we also give a little shout-out to Seiko uh, Dambuya, uh, their rookie, who I think has been getting a little bu- buzz lately for his energy, uh, and I think he had uh, you know a pretty big statistic night as well. Interesting, because I had talked to some people around the league about him after the G League showcase, and they had just said, incredible talent, no idea how to play yet. You know, not not ready. Hopefully, will get ready. And yet now they they've with Blake out, they're opening up twenty five thirty minutes a night for him. His last three nights are twenty four points, sixteen and eight, twelve and three. I mean, he's actually putting out production as well as just being out there. And that's the number one sign with a rookie. You know what? He's not even turning it over. He is kind of foul prone, but that's fine. That means he's doing something. And so, yeah, they've got themselves a really incredible prospect because all of the skills are there and the knowledge of the game and the understanding of the game was what was not there. And this is going to be a remarkable experience for him to have this many minutes every night. 
Yeah, for sure. And they needed this bad, right? Because when you're looking at kind of where they are in their life cycle, I mean, I think they're realizing that the Blake Griffin trade was as bad as all the analysts said it was at the time, right? Like the doomsdayers are saying, what are you doing trading for this contract? I mean, they're feeling the pain from that. Um, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, advance in the playoffs, let alone even win a single playoff game last year in here as a spectacular season. Now this year he's injured. So the whole season is basically a lost year. Uh, you're scrapping together wins with whatever you can, uh, you know, with a guy like Derek Rose, but you know, that's not really a long-term solution for your franchise. So you're kind of stuck uh, and you, it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible to, uh, to trade break Blake Griffin anytime soon. So what are you even selling to your fans at this point, right? I mean, if you're not selling wins, you want to be selling hope. But you look at that roster, not a lot of young talent uh, to really sell. That's where Dumbuya comes in, right? I mean, he is the guy where you could say, all right, this guy legitimately represents hope. He could actually be a building block uh, for this organization for, you know, the next five or six years. Uh, so his timing in terms of, you know, taking advantage of his opportunity here uh, is really big for their big picture. He is Ben Golliver. He's the Washington Post national writer. You can go to his Twitter page and subscribe to his Washington Post weekly newsletter. It's fabulous. Make sure you do that. It comes right to your inbox, and it's uh, very, very well done. Many more things to talk about. Toronto's back at full strength and looked awfully good tonight. We'll talk about that plus some other items as well. I do want to tell you about a fitness company out there that you should know about called Echelon. Do you know about Echelon? Echelon has got a biking product for you that can save you money than some, from compared to some of their top competitors while giving you a great video fitness workout. It's Echelon. That's right. Get echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at home cycling experience at less than half the price of Peloton. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is Echelon. E C H E L. O-N, makes beautifully engineered products, and if you don't love your Echelon, you're 100% satisfied. You get your money back guaranteed. So don't pay a ton for Peloton. Buy Echelon today for under $1,000. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A to learn about the limited time offer, free Apple iPad, and complete details on exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-F. NBA, that's slash L-O-N-B-A, echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Evidently having Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Kyle Lowry, and the whole crew back makes Toronto a much better basketball team, Ben Golliver. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, that was an entertaining high-scoring game uh, with them at OKC. And uh, I think if you're Toronto – at this point of the season, don't you think they should expect two all-stars in both Siakam and Kyle Lowry? I mean, I've been filling out my ballot, trying to take it very seriously, um, you know, like I always do, maybe a little bit too seriously. But, you know, of course, Lowry missed some time, uh, and that's kind of an unavoidable mark against him. But when you're looking at his scoring number on the year, his assist number on the year, the fact he's playing just monster minutes for them uh, on the season. So he's putting up huge advanced stats, uh, you know, during that time period and Toronto's winning, like, I feel like they, they should, you know, take two guys, uh, you know, to Chicago for the all-star game. I think Boston should probably get three with Tatum Brown, uh, you know, and Kemba Walker. I think Philly can probably count on a couple uh, in Ben Simmons and Embiid, although maybe Embiid uh, will be injured. And I think actually Milwaukee should get two 
uh, with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton. But, uh, you know, I, I think Toronto should be expecting no short shrift. I, I think both those guys deserve a spot. I have to admit, I have not looked at the East while psychoanalyzing the West every second of every day um, <laughs> for various reasons. Um, are there any interesting, really big, tough decisions in the Eastern All-Stars? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it just depends. I think Trey Young is the one who's going to be everyone circling, right? Because the numbers are incredible, but the team record's not there and the defense is not there. And when you're looking at the other point guards who are available, whether it's Kemba, uh, whether it's Kyle Lowry, you know, people would want to throw Spencer Dinwiddie into it. I mean, Kyrie could somehow get fan votes and player votes and sneak in. Uh, that's just kind of a little bit of a crowded spot. Even a Malcolm Brogdon should get some attention, I think, too. Um, you know, so I think if Trey Young winds up sneaking on, that means somebody else is going to be getting snubbed. The other guy who I feel really passionate about, I, I don't know how you stand on him, but I think DeMontis Sabonis needs a spot. You know, he was, again, spectacular tonight, but that's just almost routine for him. Uh, what he's been doing to kind of keep them afloat, I think he's been their engine. I and mean, he's been spectacular on both sides of the basketball, too, if you look at the real plus-minus numbers. So uh, I think they need to make room for him. It does get a little bit crowded in the front court because you've got you know make room for guys like Tatum, got to make room for a guy like Chris Middleton. They put Jimmy Butler in the front court spot, so he's going to need uh, you know a roster spot. Uh, but to me, do not snub uh, Demontis Sabonis. I'm calling on all the Eastern coaches out there to make it right and get that one correct. 29 and 13 for him tonight in a 104-99 win over the hapless Minnesota Timberwolves. They're 26 and 15 now. Of course, he's, they got to have an all-star. That's what I'm saying. And I think it should be him. Because there's going to be a debate, oh, it should it be Brogdon or Sabonis. And Brogdon's had really good numbers, too. Uh, I think if I'm just saying who's more valuable, who's driving their success, to me it's Sabonis. What do you do with Bradley Beal? I found room uh, on my roster for him. Uh, but, you know, I think that people – are going to tend to put him in just off name recognition. Same deal with Damian Lillard in the Western Conference. Um, and I think that in both cases it's deserved. But I think that people might rush to put them in a little bit faster than they deserve it. You know, Beal hasn't been shooting the three ball that great this year, in part because he's got the entire weight of the team on his shoulders. Uh, I don't have a lot of respect for the Wizards' defense. I mean, it's uh, you know, they're basically running a Ponzi scheme out there with their offense. You know, in terms of just you know putting up crazy numbers uh, every single night. Uh, on offense, uh, but, you know, just forsaking all responsibilities on defense. So, uh, you know, I guess he gets in uh, on maybe reputation uh, more than anything, but uh, I don't think this is his strongest uh, his strongest uh, candidacy uh, compared to recent years. What did you do in the West? Well, actually, I was going to bring this up with you. I actually found room in my Western Conference All-Stars for two Utah Jazz uh, guys, and I was worried that it was going to come down to one or the other. To me, Rudy Gobert is an all-star, and I'm sure you feel the same way, and we can get to him in a second. But to me, it came down the last spot. It was like, you know, Mitchell uh, or Devin Booker or Russell Westbrook. And I think when you factor in Utah's, uh, you know, recent longstanding winning streak, uh, Mitchell's numbers compare favorably with the other two guys. His defensive numbers uh, are better than those other two guys. Uh, I think, you know, Booker missed some time uh, due to injury. I think basically my last spot came down to Mitchell over those guys. Uh, I thought a lot of the rest of the decisions in the West were pretty much no-brainers. Another tricky one I think people are going to have to look at is Carl Anthony Towns because he's missed more time uh, than a lot of people realize. But I think you know all the usual suspects in the West, whether it's Harden, Doncic, uh, LeBron, Paul George, 
Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, all those guys are going to be filling up, you know, a majority of the roster. But, hey, I wanted to pick your brain on this Rudy Gobert thing because you had to well, see I, her well, around the world. I know where you're going. I have one more all-star question, <laughs> then you can dig in on the tweet heard around the world. What about, Did you consider Ja Morant? I did. He was one of my toughest snubs. I think John Moran is now officially one of my top three players in the NBA, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, he is so fun to watch. He's exactly what that uh, team, organization, uh, you know, the, the roster, inter- and uh, the, the city, that's exactly what they needed. I mean, he checks every single box. The superstar factor, the charisma factor is there. Uh, I tweeted this the other night. They're on a six-game winning streak. For the first time since 2016, they've changed their coach twice. They've overhauled their entire front office, and they've turned over their entire 15-man roster since the last time they had a six-game winning streak. And I don't think there's a single team in the league that's having more fun than them and plays with kind of their heart on their sleeves uh, more than them. And a large part of it is because some of those guys are young and they're really finding themselves, even if it's Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, uh, DeAnthony Melton. I mean, so many good success stories on that group. Uh, but it all starts with Ja to me. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, he, he started a little bit slower. I mean, he's definitely been coming on like a lot of rookies do. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of really talented playmakers. So that's why he was a tough snub. To me, I think if he was in the Eastern Conference, I would have been able to find a spot for him. All right. Ben Golliver's going to have his fun with me on the tweet heard around the world. Evidently, I don't think it was that big a deal, but it was heard. <laughs> Articles were written about it. People had things to say. My mentions are not look are not something I can look at. We'll talk about it when we continue here on the locked Thursday edition of Locked on NBA. Rejecting the screen has gone ISO today, so make sure you add that to your list of shows to listen to. Rejecting the screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko. Okay, Ben Golliver, the floor is yours. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So here's, here's I woke up to your tweet, first of all, and the replies to it. It was the first thing that I saw before I even got out of bed. And I love it when you're setting the agenda and setting the conversation. So I would say this. You, you had the tweet. It was basically Rudy Gobert had a triple-double points, rebounds, and screen assists, right? And then you also threw in his contested shots. And I think you're probably a 10 on the Rudy Gobert um, – defenders spectrum I think I'm like an eight I mean to me he's a no-brainer also this year there's not really a conversation and I think that he still is completely undervalued nationally after all these years but I think a lot of the spectrum respondents were down in like the zero or the two category so I'm curious after following him so closely for a few years you put a tweet out which to me was fairly harmless uh, and you're getting this kind of toxic or polarized reaction what do you make of it I don't mean to sound like pompous or arrogant on this, but I actually am deciding that Rudy <laughs> Gobert has become my litmus test of whether I think you know anything about the game or not. Woo, I love it. He's the best roller in the NBA. He's the best defensive player in the NBA. And he's the best screen setter in the NBA. And if you don't see the value in those three things, then you like Trey Young. Right, I like. I, mean, Trey, I hear you. I, I like Trey you're Young. Preaching to the choir on this one. <laughs> right, like I like Trey Young, but like, don't tell me he's doing anything that helps the team win right now, right? Like, I mean, seriously. And that's probably not fair. I'm picking on Trey Young, but I'm just trying to think of a player who does absolutely the opposite of Rudy Gobert on a given night is Trey Young, right? And the other one, yeah, for, for and, sure. So, like, it's a okay. So screen assists, triple double. That's a crazy idea. Why? 
It's a far easier triple-double to get it with assists, right? The, the, there, are, there are five guys in the NBA that average eight assists a game. There's not a single player in the NBA other than Rudy Gobert that's close to averaging eight screen assists a game. Why is it, why in a day and age where the off-the-bounce three to increase your percentage of shots that are three have become maybe one of the most important shots in the game is the play that actually frees the off-the-bounce three not classified as important, right? So what's harder to do? Set a screen to clear Donovan Mitchell or to throw the pass to Donovan Mitchell when he comes off a double stagger for a wide-open look? Yeah, to me, it's just a matter of education, right? I think that people, uh, in some cases, were reacting kind of negatively to it because they're like, what's the screen assist? Why is it so important? How is it even counted? I'm not used to, when I watch a game, crediting somebody who's not making a pass, uh, you know, with that kind of a, a helpful play. I do think that, you know, the campaign should be one of education, right? It should be becoming more familiar with this because, it's undeniable that that's a helpful basketball action, as you're describing, especially to free up three-point shooters. When people are guarding the line like they guard the line now and they're sacrificing huge swaths of the court uh, throughout the mid-range, you have to get creative, you know? And, and we, uh, as a NBA intelligentsia, we kind of fawn over guys like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson who are going to you know, be unselfish by moving off the basketball, running around like crazy. We can all visualize that. Even going back to the days of like Rip Hamilton, right? Like he's always getting credit for doing those kinds of things. It's the same genre for big men who are really going to be able to set screens that stick. And I think that the variability and quality of screen is monstrous from guys who are really good at it to guys who are bad at it, right? I mean, in, I think it's like, wasn't there a little debate recently between, uh, you know, Gobert and Hassan Whiteside about who's the better defensive player? I mean, there is no debate about who's the better screen setter. Like, that, to me, is kind of the spectrum. Uh, and, you know, one team is, is having a successful year and the other's not. And, uh, you know, one guy might have bigger box score numbers than the other, but there's zero question who would you would rather, you know, start a team with or have as your center. So Rudy, I'm with by you the on way, the public Ru- information Rudy's... campaign, and I'm glad that you're taking all these bullets because I think ultimately history is going to prove you right. Rudy should make the All-Star game solely for what he said after that Portland game. <laughs> which was what so I missed Dame it. Lillard said that Hassan Whiteside's a better defensive player than Rudy Gobert and da 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 and so there was this t- talk before the game and Rudy killed Hassan Whiteside in the game and Hassan Whiteside was not very good that night because he didn't want to go up against Rudy and so Hassan Terry Stotts didn't have him in the game for like the final nine minutes of the game and was <laughs> and when Rudy was asked after the game about what he thought of those comments he said, well, if he's so good, maybe his coach should have him in at the end of games. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, truth hurts. I mean, I, I agree with that statement for sure. I mean, I think, you know, if I'm throwing any bone to the Gobert critics, it's that his impact so far in his career it, during the regular season has exceeded his impact in the playoffs, but right? This and there are certain actually, matchups well, that No, stop. stop. This is actually not true. Okay. Houston had three of their five worst offensive games all year last year in the playoffs against the Jazz. The reason the Jazz lost that playoff series and got killed is because Jay Crowder and Ricky Rubio couldn't shoot. It did not have to do with... 
Rudy Gobert's defense. It had to do with the fact that they left two guys wide open the entire series and that the Jazz, as an offensive unit, I think shot like 18% on open threes. It had... Right, but but don't you think that like I mean guys like Chris are able to exploit Rudy in a way that maybe different style centers would be able to adjust to a little bit more. I mean, I do think that he was so he Chris, was part of the so problem. I'm Chris, not saying he he is the main problem. So two years ago, Chris Paul has a great mid range series against the Jazz, but he like pretty much does that to everyone, right? I mean, he's like best mid range shooter in the game. Right, well, except for the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the, the comparison point is like, okay, well, I mean, if we're saying that Rudy Gobert is an all-NBA caliber player, so he's one of the three best centers in the league, which I think is a fair statement, is he has he proven to be on that level during the postseason yet? I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just not sure we've seen that yet. And I think, you know, during those playoff runs, you know, I, maybe I would take Draymond over Rudy. You know, so, I don't think that's insulting to Rudy. Wat- watching Rudy over the last two years, since the playoff series two years ago against uh, when Chris Paul has the incredible games in the mid-range and, and gets the Jazz, he is he has become a better defender in space uh, and on those play- I mean, that's been a huge area of his improvement. I'm not sure I feel like that last year that was the issue. Last year, they just couldn't shoot. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, well, so, I hear you. And I also think for him and other centers too, especially Jokic, I think this playoffs is setting up pretty well for those guys, right? Because Houston can't play this crazy spread thing like they used to play because Westbrook screws it up. And, you know, Golden State's a non-factor. Uh, and then you look at L.A., uh, you know, both L.A. teams can get small if they want to, but neither one really has, like, a crazy death lineup. And, you know, same thing with, um, you know, with Milwaukee, where, you know, if you were to make it to the finals, I mean, they can definitely spread you out, but it's not to the same degree like, you know, the teams that have really have had success against, uh, you know, Gobert in the past, which would basically be Golden State and Houston. So I think the centers are in for a more pronounced role in this year's playoffs than we've seen in recent playoffs, the other uh, one, just because of the changes in Houston and Golden State. The one I really think is, a, to me, is the – the discussion on Gobert that I just don't understand is when people talk about him as a non-offensive player. He led the league in dunks. Well, he, he set the record in dunks. Every coach in the league would take a dunk on every possession if they could. That goes back to your litmus test, though, right? Like, if you don't get that, if you, if you can't look at his uh, field goal percentage, uh, you know, I think that there's, you know, some aspects of, like, prime DeAndre Jordan to his offensive game, too, right, where – um, okay, he's not like the number one force of the offense, but he makes the team's offense so devastating and so difficult to stop by being just a constant vertical threat, a constant rolling threat, um, and a, a constant finishing threat, a super high efficient uh, efficiency finisher that like, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why their teams are consistently winning 50-plus games, right? I mean, it's, it's not by accident. Uh, you can't do that with defense only. Uh, and that's why I go back to the litmus test. And I think he's been a great offensive player for like at least three seasons, right? I mean, you know that better than I would, but I think he's been established on that end for a while. The number one four-man group in the NBA, four-man lineup in the NBA includes Rudy Gobert. The offensive rating is 118. The number four off four-man unit in the NBA includes Rudy Gobert. The offensive rating is 118. The number 10 four-man group in the NBA is includes Rudy Gobert, and his offensive rating is 115. Like, 
There's clearly well, let me play, let me play a, devil's a, advocate with there's you. A there's a com- the there's a com- that- common thread there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So who is the team that uh, would scare him or have the best chance to exploit him in a playoff series that you would see right now? Or are you with me on this idea that centers are going to be uh, able to hold up better? Um, I think, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is the matchup that used to be his worst. He's got him twice this year where he went out and guarded him outside the three-point line and really bothered him. I think the Lakers are a problem, obviously, because they can play, they can match his length with JaVel McGee and Dwight Howard and then slide Anthony Davis over to the five, which makes is an interesting um, matchup for him because AD can stretch it a tiny bit. He's really not a very good shooter, actually. Um, but he can play with the length. So the Lakers are probably the team that's not bothered by Gobert's lengths as much. Jokic has had some very good games against Rudy, but not overall been as comfortable against Rudy as he is against other people. Um, and then Houston's funky because James Harden is a wizard. Yeah, I mean, I think that they could take Houston this year. Um, and I, I hate to just, you know, pile on Houston at this point because it does feel like, you know, there's been a lot of dirt kicked their way here the last, you know, week or two. I mean, they drop another one on Wednesday night uh, at home against Portland. But they're not the same team. You know, that, that postseason, like, okay, Harden has all this room to operate, and now uh, he can do whatever he wants, and he's surrounded on all sides by threats. It's just not the same deal anymore. And then defensively, we know they've got some issues, uh, you know, and they've had to kind of paper over those in recent years. I mean, to me, I think, you know, that is a that hypothetical matchup between Houston and Utah, I give that one to Utah, and I think it says something about both teams. I think it says that Utah has taken a clear step forward this year. They've been rolling um, lately, and it also says that Houston's take a pretty uh, you know, noticeable step backwards. I mean, Westbrook is not going to be stretching centers out and sniping them from the mid-range uh, to any degree. I mean, he's going to be sniping his own team with uh, missed jumpers, you know, and, and that's going to be a pretty quick series. The interesting one for me is the Clippers, who do not have the ability to stretch out of the five position. So Rudy will be around the rim that entire series. Montrose Harrell's yeah. a beast, but Rudy would be around the rim the entire series. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George would have to win that series in the mid-range against the Jazz, which maybe they could do. But if the Jazz are the number one three-point shooting team in the league, which they are, and they're able to get threes off in that series because, for whatever reason, I don't know that they could against that incredible defense. But if they could, that gets to be a very interesting series. They might not be able to get the threes, and then it's not as interesting a series. Yeah, I mean, uh, Harrell in that scenario has really struggled with guys who are taller and longer than him. I mean, he does a really nice job of, um, you know, if he can use his quickness to beat guys and they don't have the ability to recover, he finds success. If he can get matched up on guys who are small, his size are smaller, he can use his strength. But, uh, you know, with true centers, I think that's sort of his kryptonite. Uh, and it's a little bit, you know, he gets compared to Draymond, I think, just, you know, because he's undersized and, and plays really hard and everything. But the difference is, you know, Draymond's length uh, could compensate for a lot of it. And Harold's just not as long. And he doesn't play as long. Uh, so that is a tougher matchup, uh, you know, for them. All right. He's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. We've hit the 41 game of the NBA season. So now we're trying to figure out the playoff matchups already. It's going to be a long road to get to April for us. Tomorrow, <laughs> Anthony and Adam will have locked on NBA for you. Remember to follow Ben Golliver, read his Washington Post newsletters. This is Locked On NBA. Thanks for tuning in. Tell your smart device to play the latest episode of podcast Rejecting the Screen.